This podcast is meant to start important conversations about medical health. In no way is this to replace a face-to-face discussion with your healthcare professional. Hello and welcome to How's It Hangin'? This is your host, Paul Nelson. We are recording from sunny and very cold Midtown Manhattan. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get started today with a question from Harvey, age 41. He starts, I'm so embarrassed that at 41, I am still technically a virgin. I have played around with women a lot, but I have yet to actually have intercourse. It has ruined my life, and I now pretty much avoid dating because the topic of when are we going to have sex is eventually going to come up. Help. The movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin was this hysterical comedy that was a big success and everyone laughed and laughed about the 40-year-old virgin. The sad fact is there are 40-year-old virgins everywhere walking amongst us and they suffer incredible humiliation and shame. Uh, They're convinced that the entire world is having nonstop ravenous sex, even though I can tell you the whole world is not having nonstop ravenous sex. But from their perspective, they feel more and more like losers, they feel more and more like outcasts, and they feel more and more like they are never going to be able to have a normal life. Now, the first thing I tell these guys is very often they may be exhibiting an underlying anxiety disorder. I encourage guys to start off first by seeking a therapist or a psychiatrist and get evaluated for anxiety. It could be that everyday anxiety is something they live with and they don't realize it is ruining their life. They may need medication or they may just need therapy, but ideally they need both. But the answer to some guy like this is we send them to what we call a partner surrogate or what used to call a sexual surrogate. This, don't worry, it is not a hooker. It is not a sex worker. This is a therapist who's willing to work with men and actually touch their body. We work with the fear of, for example, taking your shirt off in front of a woman. What does it feel like? And what if somebody touches you? What if you touch them? A therapist is an amazing resource in this area. Interestingly enough, we also use partner surrogates for men with premature ejaculation. Again, anxiety can cause premature ejaculation and getting guys into their body, getting them relaxed and focused on play and pleasure is a huge step in accomplishing their goals. So to help us discuss this fascinating and sometimes tragic topic, I welcome Anne Cortez. She's one of the most empathetic, kind, caring, compassionate people you will ever hope to meet. I'm so glad to be here today. So right off the top, can you give us, I mean, when, when I say the word sexual surrogate, even though there, it's also known, as you said, as partner surrogate, what, what is that in a nutshell? Very good question. Um, it really came about through the research of Masters and Johnson, which a lot of people have heard of, but if they haven't, uh, their work was sort of heavily uh, occurring in the 1970s, and they cataloged a massive amount of information on sexual responses, uh, sexual relationships, just the natural function of the body, um, and, and they and they're looking at sexual dysfunction, sexual difficulties, sexual dynamics and relationships, uh, they came to feel that there were some times where it was almost like you needed to go back and sort of learn how to crawl, so to speak. Hmm. Uh, And that 
many times uh, sexual distress, sexual difficulty, sexual dysfunction arises from people becoming very goal-oriented. Oh, sure. Sure. We, we, we talk about this a lot. They're, they're performing. Yes. They're not playing. Yes. Right? Yes. And they use the word spectatoring, which I love. Okay, they're spectating themselves. Yes. Yeah. And Masters and Johnson coined that phrase, I think. I've never seen it anywhere else before yeah. them. And I love that because, I mean, who hasn't sort of been in a sexual moment where you're almost the equivalent of in your own tennis match and, right. and thinking just so much about what you're doing and am I doing it right? And Right, right. You know, is it right for my partner? And you get like so in your brain, you become right. your own spectator. Yes. And sex is about being in your body, not in your brain. Exactly. And so that interferes with the natural process. Right. And then as, as a therapist, what I see in men all the time is there's just sexual anxiety. Yes. There's, I mean, people have anxiety disorders in life in general, but they can have specific anxieties just about having sex. Am I doing it right? We, we've been taught for men, they seek approval, they seek validation, they seek the, their uh, validation of their manhood and their masculinity mm-hmm. is through their rock hard Perfectly functioning penis. Yes. And if, it, God forbid, it ever goes south, they're no longer a real man. They're no longer, they're not part of the man club. Yes, yes. And and women suffer from the same thing. A lot of times women need that longer buildup. And a lot of times their desire and their whole turn on is occurring right then and there. They don't necessarily have that coming into it sometimes right. like men do. And then they get spectating themselves and get in their brain because they feel like it's taking me too long to oh, get Oh, and there. I'm doing it wrong and he's going to be frustrated. I'm going to, yeah, right. And, uh, yeah. and if he loses the erection, of course, it's all her fault. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. It's exactly. The self-blame that women go through. And if he can't climax, it's my fault. And if he, it's right. like, yeah. It's, and, then, and then now we add to that that... Uh, you know, people just have more to think about in their brain because we do feel freer now to share our preferences and uh, our our kinks or whatever. And so then sometimes that puts people into a situation where they're even coming into such situation even with more performance anxiety mm-hmm. or more fear uh, and, and worry that they'll get erotically marginalized. Sure, sure. Just because, you know, what if I try something or say something? So there's just a lot of things that go into us right. ending up becoming our own spectator And then next thing you know, we're watching ourselves perform ultimately, and it really gets in the way of our body doing its thing. Right, right. We we, we, we sabotage ourselves without meaning to. So Masters and Johnson really were on the forefront of recognizing that, which I think was amazing. And they said, well, where do we go with this? So, So they kind of said, okay, well, let's look at each side. We kind of looked quite a bit at dysfunction, but we want to help with that. So what about the people that are saying they are, they are experiencing sexual satisfaction, sexual pleasure, and they don't feel like they have erotic or sexual distress in their life? And they basically found out that those subjects responded kind of across the board, at least three, th- three key things. Number one, those people said that they tended to kind of touch for their own involvement and their own pleasure. Interesting, okay. So they recognized that there was kind of a little bit of a selfish aspect to it. You kind of had to be focused on yourself a bit. The The second thing that the people who were happy with their sexual pleasure defined was that they would really focus on sensations rather than trying to focus on arousing their partner. Oh, sure, okay. Which, which is interesting. And yeah. then they would use that focus on sensation 
to redirect their attention when they would start to become a spectator on themselves or start to have anxiety or have their mind wander uh-huh. or think about work or right. <laughs> the kids or whatever. So so they thought that was sort of this interesting trifecta that was completely different from our thinking that to have sexual satisfaction with another person meant you had to be totally focused on that person. Yes. We, I, I, and I do hear that. And as a side note, I hear guys in our culture are trained. And I had a young 35-year-old who was so convinced that he would not be able to please a woman. And he kept using that phrase again and again. I, I, no one with my penis would be able to please a woman, please a woman. I'm like, I was so struck with that, that he was stuck with his idea that he had to please the woman. As if yes. she was not involved in it. Like he was some subservient. Yes. It, it wasn't a co-equal. It wasn't just playing. It was like, I have to perform for you. Yes, yes, yes. And so that idea that, yeah, we're stuck in that idea that, oh, it's about my partner. Right. And that element, there is an element, you're right, of healthy selfishness. Yeah. And they realize that, yes, I mean, clearly we need to be good giving and giving. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> That's important. But it's okay to enjoy to be a good receiver. Exactly. But the way this all panned out for them in, in their, you know, monitoring of couples and people in different situations and gathering all this data and all this surveys that to this day is an amazing body of work. Right. Um, was that they said, okay, we think that there is something here where perhaps we need to go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so they called it sensate focus therapy. And there was kind of a phase one and a phase two. And phase one was to sort of focus on this, you need to learn how to be focused on your own sensations. Mm -hmm. Because if you're focused on your own sensations, it's really difficult to be distracted with other things. Right. And if you learn how to focus on your own sensation, then you can learn how to bring yourself back to focusing on sensation when your mind intellectually wanders. So, so sensation helps you get grounded back in your body. Exactly. And then sensate therapy phase two okay. was working on if it seemed like it was just an issue where the person maybe needed to be the good giving in game. Like, mm-hmm. okay, now I've, I've learned how to do my focus on and me. bring my attention back and focus on me. Now let me sort of incorporate learning more how to find out what does more specifically pleasure my partner. Right, right. How do, how do we answer the giving? I, I mean, <laughs> right. But don't you think, in, I mean, as I sit here and listen to this, is like in life it is almost always harder to receive something than give. Yes. To being a good receiver it is. is really, we all feel a little guilty. Oh, you shouldn't yes. have. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. you. It's, I, I, uh, yeah. I'm so uncomfortable receiving something. Right. Especially, yeah, in our culture. We really are. We are it's, so no surprise that it comes to sex and we have the yeah. just, is compounded because it's sex. It's Honest, more difficult. Honestly, I think all of us, you know, suffer from some of this programming. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, but a lot of people really are, are in distress over it. Certainly. Sure. And then it will compound itself. And so Masters and Johnson kind of took it a step further and said, okay, how can we help couples maybe to do this, these steps themselves? And they did work couples through it. And then they discovered that, well, yeah, there's some people who aren't married. They don't have a partner. Or maybe for whatever reason their partner just isn't there yet and doesn't doesn't feel capable to go through this with them. Mm-hmm. But is you know willing for the one partner to sort of work through it and so then they started saying well maybe we need to find a partner for this person for this person who's partnerless <laughs> yeah so like that is fascinating so kind of like if you were to go decide that you wanted to take up boxing right you i need you someone need a to boxing spar partner. with yeah and you need a boxing partner or ballroom who, dancing right <laughs> exactly 
<laughs> you need a boxing partner who's hopefully not going to hurt you too badly. You're right. right. And, and going to kind of spar and, yeah. you know, work with you on this. Yeah. But <laughs> That's a good point. Won't hurt me too. Won't hurt, they won't hurt me and they won't let me hurt them. Right. So, so it's, in a, it's a safe container, in yeah. other words. So boxing might be kind of a weird analogy for but, something that is sensation and sensual. Yeah, and, but, but <laughs> sex, yeah. There's the fear of hurting each other, getting hurt yourself yeah. emotionally. It's like if I do something with her and I'm not good at it, she's going to make fun of me. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a really good... So yeah, someone I trust. Yeah. They know I'm, I'm a beginner. They're a teacher. Yeah, exactly. And I think probably a lot of, a, a lot of the world is seeking that with different types of sex workers mm-hmm. and many of them do sort of provide that interaction sure but masters and johnson tried to do it in a way that was just sort of very like okay we've definitely got the research to back this up we can see that it works right and they were just really just being incredibly scientific about it but it's so interesting that it was at the time just so you know off the charts in terms of People right. had not seen anything like it, and people really, you know, they, they suffered a lot of criticism and so on. But that was where the partner surrogacy came in. Mm-hmm. And, and surrogacy a lot of times is a confusing word because people think about it more associated with uh, pregnancy partners. But surrogacy just meaning sort of a substitute a partner. A substitute person, yeah. So who would this be for? I, we, were, we just mentioned that the, the person who had no partner, right? Yeah. So person right now walking the streets of New York City who would benefit from this? Is there a demographic or is there a profile of this person that you would say, the average person who needs a surrogate is what? Uh, it can be a pretty wide range, but if, if you were to start at the top, the sort of the most common and mm-hmm. probably the in many ways sort of the most helpful or appropriate mm-hmm. uh, are people who've had some type of really severe prolonged erectile dysfunction that is really sort of being exacerbated okay. uh, with their dating process or their partner process. I, yeah, I hear this all the time. Well, I hear even with someone in a, in a long-term relationship, they stop touching because if I touch this person, it reminds me that I can't get an erection. So why start something I can't finish? Therefore, if I don't touch, I'm not reminded that I'm in pain there. Right. I just won't touch. And yeah, yeah, then you, you So the person no who has no partner, it's even more complicated yeah. because they're not about to put themselves out there in a dating right. profile because they're like, why would I start anything? I can't. Or they do put themselves out there and then they have a terrible experience and it's devastating. And and, and speaking as a therapist, that is just becomes a trauma, a repeated trauma. It does. It does. Which it, is just... And that it, it really starts to become like PTSD. It does. <laughs> their response would be PTSD. We all know that now. Yes. Repeated traumatization will result in... And some of so. them stay in the relationship and ultimately end up suffering from prolonged emotional abuse. Yeah. Because they have a partner who is very frustrated and uh, just doesn't know how to work through it. Yeah. Um, and, but sometimes they have partners who just feel uncomfortable working through it. So sometimes it's a situation where the spouse or the partner says, I am, I'm totally into you working through this, but I'm kind of doing my own therapy first. And like it just feels so awkward for us to interact on a physical or sensual level right now that I just I don't really want to go there but working with our therapist and so on I'm willing for you to go work with a different boxing partner right 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 (laughs) different boxing partner Um, that is fascinating so that's that's probably a very common one another one uh, certainly in uh, certain parts of the world and in 
here uh, in, in the country uh, are people who really have, um, how do I say it, from a religious background. Sure. Have or, really, or sexually repressed Have been background. really, really so repressed and then tried to get married and then are suddenly told, now you're supposed to have all this sex and have lots of kids. And it doesn't... <laughs> yes. The train doesn't switch tracks always right. that easily. They were taught that sex was scary and dangerous, and don't, 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 don't. And suddenly, that's now on. It's like what? Who? What? I'm not. I'm supposed to be aroused by this person in bed with me. That right? Yeah. And I, I interesting on a side note, I I work with a lot of uh, young men in the Hasidic population. Yes. And they aren't even allowed to talk to girls. Right. And so they didn't even meet their wife until their wedding day or maybe a week before their wedding day and suddenly they're in bed with them and they don't even know talk about pressure they don't yeah they don't even know what arousal is what am i supposed to do what am yeah. i supposed to feel and i'm supposed to be you know we're supposed to make a baby and it's, they're checking the sheets in the morning for blood. I mean, this is... It's, it's intense. It's yeah. intense. And, th- and thankfully, sometimes it just happens, you know, in the moment and works out okay <laughs> yes, in the right. end. But it, but it doesn't work out just perfectly, naturally, spontaneously for everybody. For everybody. I can't, and listening to that whole... I'm like, I can't imagine it works out for a majority of people. Right. Yeah. And so in that scenario, you know, men, but also women who come uh-huh. from the same background can really sure. struggle. Women really probably even more so sometimes than men are really taught that, you know, sex is transgressive and it's only for procreation and can struggle with that. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, going down from there, uh, certainly um, people with disabilities who sometimes have uh, spent a good portion of their life just trying to learn how to live with a disability. Right. And then have kind of reached adulthood and said, okay, now you know, I've, I've learned how to deal with this, but now... Whoa, I'm kind of missing this. Right. I, I'm a human. I do have a sexuality. Right. And so similarly to the people who maybe are missing it just because of the certain type of religious background or just the family background or some programming that they got, uh, to me it's almost like some people have kind of, unfortunately, they just, to no accident of their own, they've missed a developmental phase. They've right. had absolutely no ability to experiment and make out in the back seat, right, right. do the heavy petting, <laughs> yes, and right. and then next thing you know, you are the proverbial you know forty year old virgin or something, right, right, for whatever the reason is, right, whether it's background programming or disability or a medical diagnosis, yeah, or, yeah, um, and it's just really that's really hard. I think it's almost even harder than if something happens later in life that is maybe acquired from uh, mm-hmm. you know medical diagnosis or or. Or something like that. I think it's really even harder when you've missed any of that experimental oh. phase. Oh, I, I agree. I, we do see several forty-year-old versions a year. Men who've just for many of them do have anxiety disorders that have prevented them from progressing in various areas of their life. They could have great jobs. They could have whatever. But their relationship lives, their sex lives, they missed it. And for them to just jump in is just impossible. Oh, yeah. The, the, the amount of shame and humiliation, and I can't tell anybody that I've never had sex, and I just like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. It really, it really is, and, uh, is difficult. Um, so, so that's probably the, you know, the, the most common. But, you know, women that have uh, painful sex, uh, they can benefit from it, but they don't often seek out... Um, Sure. And attention or, or interaction for that as, as much as sometimes yeah. men do. Um, you mentioned that. It, like, it reminds me of the fact that we had a patient just last week. He came to us for ED, and he probably did have some erectile issue. But 
We had him on penile injections. He was getting great erections, and they still weren't able to have intercourse. And they, they'd been married for three years and had never yet had intercourse. Okay. And, um, and finally, I'm saying, okay, could you please tell me exactly step by step what is happening? It, then we figured out that his wife had vaginismus. And, the, and vaginismus, just so you know, is where women involuntarily, completely not their fault, through anxiety, fear, or whatever, it doesn't matter the reason, they tighten their vaginal muscles so it is impossible to penetrate. Yes. It hurts even to put a finger in, let alone a penis. Yes. And so this man, we, we had him getting erections, but because of her vaginismus, and he's saying, well, you know, she told me it hurt. And I'm like, what? Penetration shouldn't hurt. And so we uncovered the idea that here we're only treating half the problem. He had erectile dysfunction, but she had vaginismus. We had him had erections, but we were stuck. And so this idea of these women, the anxiety, the fear about sex, the repressed sex, it's like, of course, it should be expected. They're probably going to have vaginismus yeah. as they come into sex. Right. So for them, they would get surrogacy to just let let me touch on my terms. I'm going to touch this man's body. Right, Exactly. Uh, and so I feel in control and my anxiety yep. goes down and things like that. Yeah, and I learn how to focus on my sensations instead of worrying right. and thinking, oh, my word, we're oh, going It's going to hurt. We're going there. We're going there. We're going there. We're going there. He's going to put it in. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. That, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, actually. Um, so, so if some guy comes to you and says, okay, I need, a sur- I need surrogacy. I need work. I need help. Uh, what does a session look like? You know, what is the first, you meet somebody and you're like, okay, here, let's get naked, get it on, right? <laughs> That's a great teenage fantasy. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, you know what? Yeah. Uh, I just, I got to thinking, uh, let's just go back to what we were talking about in terms of people that are kind of good candidates for it. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Asperger's. <gasps> yes. Yes, I, it, I, Which is what I meant to say Asperger's is like yeah, that um, the idea that yeah, it's a diagnosis that, right. and we're now seeing more people than ever on the autism spectrum. Yeah, so you want to go back? Yeah, we go back. So I'll just kind of restart. Yep, yeah, just jump in in another category. Yeah. So I think another uh, another category that is really interesting that there has not been a lot of data on yet or research, but some of the researchers and practitioners are following it is also working with people who've reported some amount of uh, sexual, sensual distress or feeling that they have dysfunction, uh, who also have Asperger's. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just feel like I, I really have a hard time connecting. I have a hard time reading my partner's responses, and therefore I just kind of, like, don't know what to do at all. Or maybe, maybe I'm struggling a little bit with the fact that I want to experience closeness with somebody, but... It, it doesn't necessarily have to be sex and like how do I negotiate that and the sensate focus and sort of teaching the person this sort of series of Mm -hmm. exercises where they can focus on touch and it doesn't mean that they're focusing on sensation in terms of does it feel good or not it's Mm -hmm. it's actually more sort of hardcore data like oh okay this is soft this is hard this is warm this is cooler um, Interesting. This is rough, you know, and so just kind of not feeling like oh, I'm trying to focus on whether I right. like this or not, because it can still be kind of hard when you're doing the focusing on sensations. We still tend to think of sensations as roughly kind of binary, like good or bad. Right. Right. 
but to just learn more to think about the characteristic of the sensation. Right. And that, that's, that's showing some promise in helping people who have Asperger's kind of navigate the physical interactions. And in sort of, in a way, a couple of them in the surveys and the research are saying it f- it's helping them feel like they can map their partner's body. Right. Which I think is just awesome. Right. I just want to point out, if people don't know what Asperger's is, it is part of the autism spectrum. In fact, we just now refer people on the, on the spectrum. But it's just, these are people who you would not, they function in life in every area. In fact, they often excel, especially in the age of computers. Yes. I, I used to teach, and I used to have a lot of kids uh, somewhere on the spectrum, as we would say. And it's fascinating. I found them to be creative and bright and funny and... But there was often a disconnect with their bodies or a, an, an interpersonal. I mean, it was an extra challenge for them to be intimate right. or feel connected with another person. Right, right. And get out of their head. Yes, exactly. And it's so that's wow. And sex is about being in your body, as we've said many times. So that's a real challenge yeah. for these people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so there's just so much, so many interesting areas. But those are kind of the the, the wow. big categories right now. Okay. Uh, and then you know certainly. I think I mentioned the word earlier, and we're starting to sort of see the word erotic marginalization. So working with people who feel that they just haven't been allowed as much experimentation or had the ability to sort of connect and find their way through all of this because of, you know, their orientation or a kink preference or something of that nature. And then also people who've been through trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's uh, rape or Childhood, childhood trauma, sexual abuse, right? Like right. That. Those yeah. numbers are staggering. Some of them sort of need a safe partner, right? So they can feel this person is a safe, trust, right. relax, and get 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 out of their head and get out of the fear, the trauma response of yeah. freeze or whatever. Exactly. So, what does wow. the partnering look like? Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. That's the next question. They're right. Right. What, what is it? What is a session? What does a partnering session look like? That's a, so. So it it. Uh, it occurs in different forms, uh-huh. I'm sure, in different areas, depending on uh, the availability in the area of therapists and clinics and sex therapists. And, and you're very fortunate where you are here that you have a lot of resources mm-hmm. uh, for people to really kind of get directed in helpful ways. And a lot of places don't have those resources. So some people find a partner surrogate uh, searching online. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a professional association, and Paul will provide that information uh, later on. But um, in my situation, I work solely in conjunction with therapists, mm-hmm. uh, typically sex therapists, uh, and they refer uh, or suggest that the person uh, might benefit from my services. And then there's an initial history intake that I do. And uh, there's just kind of a sharing, an open sharing that's, you know, no pressure and no obligation. And then I decide if I think that I agree and that I think that I would really have something to offer to their team approach. And then uh, I accept them as a client and I speak periodically with the therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, it depends on the case. Uh, You know, many times a lot of it is still in a way talk therapy. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people feel like they can talk to a surrogate partner in a different way than they would talk to their therapist. Or sometimes yeah, it's they're... It's a very different setting, yeah, right? Or, or sometimes it's a therapist. Sometimes they'll say, well, I've been seeing this therapist for, you know, 15 years. And, and I love her dearly. But now she's almost like an aunt to me. 
And so I feel like I can't tell her some of this stuff, but I want to keep seeing her. (laughs) So some of it is still, you know, talking and sharing. Uh, Some of it I'm participating basically in sort of further education of some of the medical interventions Mm -hmm. that they might be trying or uh, that they might be um, have recently started on like uh, pills or injections to sure you know help. right they're they're working on getting the erection right right and 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 if they have a great medical team and you know therapist team much of the time they've already gotten that information right. but some of them don't have that some of them are working only with their primary care doctor oh yes and a therapist yeah. and so there's room there to help them also understand uh, some of the clinical aspects mm-hmm. of the pills and the shots and so on. Um, and a lot of times there's just general questions about, uh, you know, women and or their other partners or... Oh, sure. Your, you know, your place... Right. We can ask any sex yeah, question yeah, to exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. So it's a safe environment mm-hmm. uh, to just ask questions. And then uh, I, I do try to start them right away on the first phase of the sensate-focused therapy uh, if I've determined that that's really sort of part of their picture mm-hmm. is that they really are suffering from anxiety and performance pressure or trauma uh, or just um, this general distress of, oh, my God, I can no longer perform has become such an overwhelming thing uh, that, that I, I sit down and I explain. I try to give them, uh, you know, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. this is how it works. And uh, the Sensate Step 1 is really, in many ways, about uh, helping to stair-step people through... Um, a process of getting them more focused on their sensations, but also to help them deal with the anxiety of having less clothing on. Sure. Knowing how to be in somebody's personal space. Oh, wow. Sometimes also during that time, it's sort of an easier time for men to discuss and sort of explore uh, the process of consent. Sure. Sometimes, wow. sometimes that's a helpful yeah. time they find to discuss that with me and say, "How do I negotiate this in a way that's just like not just weird?" You know, <laughs> I, how can I negotiate consent and be sexual, right. be sexy? I mean, it's that's just a, you know, it's where we're at these yeah, days. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a big concern. And if you have trouble reading people's bodies, you want to make sure that you're reading the signs correctly. Right. Exactly. Right. So yes. for a lot of these guys. That's yes. a huge part of it. Yes. Understand your partner wants to go further. Yes. But a lot of the, uh, and, you, and it can be pulled up online. There are Sensate Therapy uh, guidebooks online. And so if, if people want to review that for themselves to even kind of know what to expect, there's a whole manual that was written on it. And, and basically speaking, mm-hmm. you try pretty quickly if somebody really needs that, that level of interaction. Uh, most of the practitioners uh, of it uh, will... At some point in time, um, either just try to judge if the person really seems like they just sort of need interaction, or if it seems like they really need to start from the beginning, then yes, there will the person will get disrobed, mm-hmm. and um, then basically there is non-genital, non-breast, non-penis right. touching. That you you just explain to them. Basically, you start at the head. You have the person lie on their stomach. You start at the head, and you just gradually work your way down the body to the feet. And it feels awkward as heck. <laughs> <laughs> it really does at first. It feels very awkward. It feels very contrived. Uh-huh. But as you start doing that, and you're 
focused, focusing and being reminded to, to just try to focus on what you're feeling. Right. It's this warm, it gets warmer as you get close to the middle of the body, then sometimes it starts to get cooler as you approach the periphery of the right. body. Oh, okay, yeah, this is a hard bony area. This is a, you know, a softer thigh area. This is sort of a rough area. This is a soft area. And it, and it does seem totally silly, I, I realize. Mm-hmm. But, but it really is hard to think about anything else when you are thinking about the aspects and the characteristics of what you are feeling. Sure. Right. And, and so it feels really uncomfortable, but you start there at first. And it's so, like I said, it's non-genital. It's not, there's, there's no candles. There's no sexy right. music. We're not do, this isn't romance. This is not romance. We're not here to seduce each other. Right. We are here to learn how to bring our minds back. Into our bodies. To, into yeah. our bodies, into what we're feeling. Yeah. And then as it goes on, depending on the situation again, and the, the client and the, the therapist involved and the, the practitioner, then you, you may do both sides of the body. Some people maybe are too fearful. Maybe they only do it on their back. But typically you do progress to then you lie on your, on your back and you do the front, but you still avoid the genitals and the breast or the, the penis. Um, and you're, you're basically taking turns when mm-hmm. you're doing it with a partner or if you're helping to coach a, a couple through it. So he would lie in his stomach first, she would touch his back. Then she would lie on her stomach, he would touch mm-hmm. her back. And you basically try to do it long enough to sort of go through the motions and experience what it's like to make yourself focus on that and focus on the sensation, but not get thoroughly bored with it. <laughs> right, right. And your mind is going to wander. You're going to think about, oh, geez, you know, what I did, what I needed to do at work today right. and the kids or whatever, or, or, you know, your girlfriend's going to be mad at you because you weren't going out with her tonight or whatever. And the mind is going to wander. But as you go through it and go through these steps, you do learn to bring the mind back more quickly uh-huh. so that it doesn't put you in that spectatoring mode where then next thing you know, the erection goes away your lubrication for the woman starts to go away because your mind is doing something else and therefore your body is not free to just do its own natural right, thing. Right. Um, and then depending again on the situation, the therapist, the client, the practitioner, uh, it can then you know, progress to genital touching and that's when it's you know, best to have sort of the couple there together. Right. It, you know, it kind of works the best to have the couple together. but. Um, and th- that can be sort of an awkward threshold for people to cross because, like you said, if they already have a partner, a lot of times there is that level of discomfort with that partner that is built up. Oh, yeah. This is what we've always done, or this time. is, yeah, I've never been able to do this, or yeah, it's yes. a lot but, of inertia. But again, it's not, about, uh, it's not about trying to bring pleasure or seduce the person. And the interesting thing is that a lot of the, in a lot of those situations, the men will become erect and the women will lubricate. And um, sometimes people have a spontaneous uh, ejaculation or orgasm, uh, kind of from not trying to. Right, right, right. Like the anxiety, like oh, I don't want to come, right, I don't want to come right, in. That right. Well, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And 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 Masters and Johnson fully covered that and said, you know what? If that happens, that's great because ultimately your body is learning to do to its do thing respond to yeah. When your brain is disengaged from being this, you know, controller. So, you know, I realize it, it does, it sounds weird. It sounds totally awkward and it does feel awkward at first. But 
that's sort of it in a very rough nutshell. Probably sounds totally unattractive, but well, but it can really, really help to sort oh, of yeah. re- I mean, reset the mind. We've definitely seen success with our patients who've that use surrogacy. I mean, it's it, it, the, the, it's a set of skills they learn yeah. how to be in their body. It's how do I yeah. get embodied. So then, when someone, how do you know when someone's done? How do you know when there? We've we've right. reached our. This is yeah. there. We're, we're we've accomplished our goals. That's an excellent question because even though that's kind of it in a nutshell, it's not like you're seeing the person every single time and doing that exact same thing every time. You know, some people will work with a therapist and a practitioner where they just say, I want to try this, but I, I need to or want to do it in a very concentrated manner, like over two weeks' time. So they might be seen every single day or they might be seen every other week or something like that. But you're, it's almost like you're, you're, in a way, it's almost like flood therapy where you're sort of exposing the person gradually to things that cause a little bit more anxiety. Mm-hmm. And causing them to associate that experience eventually with relaxation. Uh, so, yeah, replacing the anxious. Yeah. So, in terms of when is it done? When is it okay? Like, this is... We're coming to the end of our right. treatments. Uh, so that, that varies, again, according to therapists and practitioners. Some believe that it should be an arbitrary amount of time to avoid, perhaps, transference. Mm-hmm. You know, Falling in love with your over attachment. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I, I think a lot of that can be avoided because it's something that we discuss at the beginning. You know, that especially with something like that where it is a more close setting. Right, well, it is an intimate more setting. More intimate setting. Yeah. Uh, that there is going to be some attachment. In a way, it, it almost needs to be there. Mm-hmm. But that to just expect that that's going to happen and to know that there's a beginning and an end to it and it's for a therapeutic reason... And just be very, you know, matter of fact about yeah. it. But uh, there are some therapists and practitioners that think it should be an arbitrary amount of time, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe three months. Uh, there are others that think that it should be based more on the individual, the individual, their progress, right? and their progress. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, for a lot of people, it also depends on if they have a partner of their own. If they are, have a partner of their own. We are, in general, trying to get them back to interacting with their partner. You want to make yourself obsolete as, as soon fast as possible. As possible. <laughs> yes, yeah. You want to get out of the picture right. ASAP. Right, right. So those, oh, those all enter into the decision-making. So if somebody wanted to learn more about this, would they go to the website IPSA, IPSA.org? Is that a starting? Is that educational or is that... There is some educational there, and if somebody thinks that or already knows because of talking to their therapist uh-huh. that they might be needing somebody like a partner surrogate, uh, that is a, a website where you can get in touch with them, and they will try to see if there is somebody in your area that they could refer okay. you to. So that can be a great place to start. It can give some more education. If you Google partner surrogacy or sexual surrogacy, you will also find some articles and individual websites on it. Um, And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm certainly happy to take email inquiries if anybody wants to send me an email inquiry as well, but... Okay, so if you... You can cut that. uh, I I would, you know, I definitely like... So your email address is Cortez A-N-N-E-C-O-R-T-E-S at Tutanota... Yes. Dot com. T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A. Tutanota.com. Yes. Or you can email us at howsithanginpodcast at gmail.com. And um, we don't have all the answers, but I promise we will try to get into the answers. How's that? Um, any last words? This has been really fa- This is fascinating. 
it's really fascinating. Uh, any last nugget advice? Don't give up. Don't 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 give up for sure. Don't you deserve a sex life. Don't give up. You deserve a sex life. And I think the I think the other thing that's really valuable about this is that many of us at one point or another will end up with a long term partner, and it can be hard to keep that heat. Sure. And that passion and that new relationship energy going. And that's one of the things that I think I've really learned from Sensate Therapy is that it's a way, like you said, to avoid bed death. Yes, <laughs> As yes. some people call it. Yeah. It's a way to avoid, like, we're sitting on the couch beside each other every night, but we no longer touch. Because we do, we do tend to associate touch, and sometimes even just holding hands on the couch is avoided because, oh, it might lead to sex. Oh, yeah, right, right. I'm not going to start anything I can't start. Yeah, and yeah. I, th- I think it's really a way that couples can sort of learn that physical contact can really be relaxing. Yes, and in itself, without an end of yeah. a penis in a vagina or an orgasm or a yeah. penis anyplace, or about a genitals, period. Yeah, we kind of we kind of lack those skills. We don't yep. get taught those skills. No, we do not get taught those skills. Well, thank you for being such a good teacher. Thank you for teaching these skills. So this is Paul at How's It Hanging Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Stay in touch.